I would invite you now to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Do you remember these words? Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. How many of y'all recognize that from Star Trek? All right. Did they, did they say that in the later one or just the original? I'm not sure. Uh, I, 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 it was interesting. It's a five-year mission. I went and checked, and the series only ran for three years, but uh, that's irrelevant. I want to consider this phrase, for a mo- this phrase for a moment, to go, boldly go where no man has gone before. That sentiment, in a sense, reflects the call of God to Abraham that we're going to consider this evening. God called Abraham to go to a place where he had never been before. He had no idea where he was going. He didn't know how to get there. Now, the reality is there were other people there already, Canaanites, but as far as Abraham was concerned, God was leading him into uncharted territory. It was a journey that he, he didn't know anyone who'd ever taken that journey before. There was nobody to ask about it. So, in a sense, he was called to boldly go where no man had gone before. Let's see what that looks like in Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to begin reading in verse 8. We've looked at the, in the hall of faith, we looked at the faith of Abel and uh, of, of uh, Noah, of Enoch. And this morning, or this evening rather, we'll look at the faith of Abraham and of Sarah as well. Verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the very same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past age, since she considered him faithful who had promised." Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now, you recall that Hebrews 11 is often called the Hall of Faith. It's a celebration of the faith of Old Testament heroes of the faith. But in reality, it's actually a testimony to the faithfulness of God to his people. Now, as we'll see in a moment, they weren't always quite as faithful or quite as obedient as we might hope, and the same is true for you and me. But God was always faithful to them. And there's tremendous encouragement in that for you and for me. Four things I want us to look at this evening. First of all, we're going to look at the call of God He's calling Abraham into uncharted territory, the call of God into uncharted territory. Secondly, Abraham's obedience. And thirdly, Abraham's hope. And then finally, the promise 
of God. So the call into uncharted territory, Abraham's obedience, Abraham's hope, and then finally the promise of God. So let's consider for a moment this call. Uh, it's, it's actually uh, explained very clearly in Genesis chapter 12, and I'm going to ask you to turn there if you would. Keep a finger or a marker or something in Hebrews uh, 11. But in Genesis chapter 12, we find God calling Abraham to go from his homeland to this promised land. Now, First of all, let me say in chapter 11, it, we, we read that Abram had lived with, his name was Abram at that point. He lived with his father, Terah, uh, in the Ur of the Chaldees, or the Chaldeans. And for some reason, it doesn't say God told him, but we read that Terah uh, moved his family, including his son Abraham and Abraham's wife, Sarah, from Ur. They were going toward Canaan, but they stopped in a town or a place called Haran, H-A-R-A-N. And so there... Tira lived out the rest of his days with Abraham, Abraham's wife Sarah, and his nephew Lot. Lot's father, Abraham's brother, had since passed away before they ever left Ur. But we also read in chapter 11 that Sarah was barren. She had no children. So then we come to chapter 12 and we read these words. Now, verse 12, now the Lord, or excuse me, chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God calls Abraham and says, I'm going to lead you to a place that you don't know. He didn't say, I'm going to lead you to Canaan. I'm going to, complete, I'm going to lead you to complete the journey your father started. He said, I'm going to lead you to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I'll bless those who uh, bless you and make your name great. And I will curse those who dishonor you. But in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's a pretty incredible call, promise that God has given to Abraham. It's a, a revelation, a special revelation directly from God to Abraham. And I want to be very careful here uh, when we talk about God calling us to something. Pastor Mark this morning talked about God calling uh, Paul and Barnabas to the work to which he had set them aside to go on these mission trips and be missionaries from uh, the church in Antioch. Now, that call from God was special revelation. God spoke to this group of elders in this church, and they sent him. Here, God's call to Abraham was special revelation. He spoke specifically to Abraham and said, I want you to go. Now, with the completion of the canon, we believe that special revelation has ceased. When God calls us, he uses ordinary means. So he's not going to give you this, this flash of lightning and this, this clear, uh, unmistakable call. That uh, Rather, it's through the gifts that he gives, through the interest that he gives, through the, the, the qualifications that he gives. Through, uh, the, he guides us in a process, ultimately through the, the affirmation of his church. But it's these ordinary means, the illumination of Scripture, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the gifts and graces, the affirmation, the recognition and affirmation of the church. That is uh, how God calls us today into various vocations. And so it's more of a process rather than an event. Now, 
I've, I've spoken to many men who are in ministry or missions where there was, uh, it seemed to be there was this, this, this uh, watershed moment where they, they were doing business with God and became convinced, yes, in fact, this is what God wants me to do. But even that sense, that personal individual sense of calling has to be examined and considered and, 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 uh, and affirmed by the church. We've had men come to our church uh, years for years and years. Uh, I can remember 30 years ago and more, men coming here and saying, God has called me into the ministry. God has called me to be a missionary. God has called me. And we find out, well, you know, I, I was at this other church and they didn't recognize my call. So I left there and I went to another church and they didn't recognize my call. So I went somewhere and now I'm here. And they come here expecting us to recognize the call that nobody else would recognize. And as we get to know them, we realize we don't believe this guy is called to the ministry. We don't see the gifts and we don't see the graces. We don't see the evidence of God's call in his life. And ultimately they left here discouraged, frustrated, and many times even bitter that we didn't recognize that sense of calling they had in their lives. There's a confusion in our day about how God calls people to his service, but he always uses the church as the, uh, to confirm that calling, and that's very important. But I want you to notice what we read in, in, in verse 8, back in Hebrews 11. Keep, keep your finger in Genesis uh, uh, 12, because we're going to go back and forth a little bit. But in verse 8, uh, we read that God has called Abraham, or Abram, uh, to go somewhere to a land that is going to be his inheritance. And so he went not knowing where he was going to go. It was a land of promise. It was his, as it were. But it was, as far as he was concerned, uncharted territory. That was the call of God on Abraham's life. And Abraham, secondly, obeys the Lord. Let's think about his obedience for a minute. Verse 8, once again, he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise in a foreign, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Let's go back again to Genesis chapter 6, we're gonna, or 12 rather. We're going to flip back and forth just a bit for a few minutes. In chapter 12, we read in Genesis 12 verse 4, so Abram went. God had called him, and Abram went. How surprising is that? It shouldn't be. He went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham, or Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all of their possessions they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to a place called Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. And at, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I'll give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him, and from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord of Jehovah. Now, God calls Abraham, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uproot you, and you're gonna go somewhere that you've never been before, and you, you don't know the way, but I'll, I'll get you there. And Abraham doesn't say, Lord, are you sure? He doesn't say, I'm not going anywhere until you tell me where we're going. Parents, have you had that with your kids? You give them instruction, and why? Well, then you explain, but they don't, they don't, they don't, they're not convinced. So they want more whys. 
And it's like, I'll obey you once you convince me that, that, that this is what I want to do. That's not really obedience, all right? Obedience says, I'll do what you ask me to do. I don't understand it. I'm not sure why. I don't know what it's about, but I trust you. Therefore, I will do what you say. So Abraham obeyed the Lord without question. He packed up his family. He packed up his considerable belongings. And he went without any clear idea of where it was he was actually going. He didn't have a map. He didn't have a GPS. He didn't have a, a travel guide. He didn't have a star in the sky like the wise men did when Jesus was born. He didn't seem to have a, a pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud like the children of Israel did leaving Egypt. It doesn't tell us here how the Lord led Abram to Canaan, to the promised land. But we read that he settled in Bethel, or in between Bethel and Ai, and there he pitched his tent. Now, there's a vital connection here between faith and obedience. Parents, this is so important. We give our children instruction. And when we tell them to do something that's new, particularly, something they've never thought about, they didn't think they could do, and we say, I want you to do this. I, I can't do that. Yes, you can, and I want you to do it. And the many times the determining factor, whether they even try or not, is not do they believe they can do it, it's whether they trust you or not. And there are times as parents we simply have to say, I need you to trust me right now. And I need you to do what I've asked you to do or what I've told you to do. And if your child truly trusts you, if he knows you would never tell him to do something that would harm him or that he really couldn't do, if he trusts you, then he will set out and obey what you've told him to do. He'll try that new thing, whatever it might be. So here's Abraham. He trusted the Lord. He went without any idea where he was going. Last spring, most of you know, my family took a trip, uh, kind of a trip of a lifetime, really. We went to Austria and to Switzerland. And for several months before that trip, we spent all kinds of hours researching on the internet places to stay, places to eat, places to shop, things to see, uh, various modes of transportation. Uh, we tried to cover every conceivable detail. We spent hours poring over YouTube travel videos and Rick Steves travel guides. We purchased a European cell phone plan so we wouldn't get lost with that car we rented. We, we wanted to ensure that we knew where we were going and we knew how to get there. We knew what we were going to do. But when God called Abraham, he didn't have any of that. He packed up his wife. He packed up his nephews. He packed up all of his earthly possessions and servants, and he set out for a place he'd never been, and he didn't even know how to get there. He didn't have a map. He didn't have a travel agent. He didn't have travel guides or YouTube videos. No idea where he's going. No idea what he'd find when he got there. He just knew God told him to go, and that was enough. You ever find yourself saying, you know, I don't really understand this right now, but it's clear this is where God has me. This is clear this is where God wants me. That's enough. He's good. He's wise. He loves me. He's right. He's righteous. I can trust him. I can go where he sends. I can obey wherever it is, he has me. Abraham went by faith. He trusted God, and the proof that he trusted God was the fact that he obeyed. Now, the question here is, was this blind faith? Did Abraham go in blind faith? Well, he didn't know where he was going, never seen it before, 
hadn't been there before. He was having to walk by faith and not by sight. But it was not blind faith because it was, he, he trusted his God. It was an informed faith. See, if, if, if we can see, then we're not trusting. We're just, we're just, we already see it. It's not faith if you see it, right? Who hopes for that which he's already seen, Paul says. But Abraham is not just launching out on some uh, crazy adventure. He's been called by the God of the universe, and he trusts his God. He believes his God. He, he, he didn't know where he was going, but he knew the God who was sending him there. So he was willing to go, to walk by faith. Not a blind faith, but an informed faith in his God. And when he got there, it tells us he lived in tents. That's a pretty powerful statement. You think he's going to this land of promise. He gets there. There are cities all around. When we read of the cities uh, and the little kingdoms that were attacking one another, when they uh, attacked and they took off Lot and Abraham had to gather some people and go back and, 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 and take Lot back, there were cities, there were little kingdoms all around. But Abram, Abraham and his family lived in tents. The only thing Abraham built was an altar to worship God. But he lived in tents. He was going to be a great nation. But not only Abraham, but his son Isaac, his son Jacob, they all lived in tents. They didn't build permanent structures. They didn't build cities. They didn't build countries. They were heirs of the very same promise, and yet they lived as strangers and exiles in that land promised to them. He lived as a foreigner, we read, in the land which God had promised to him. Now, just think about that for a moment. Year after year, decade after decade. Would that not get old? Would that not get just a bit discouraging? Would you find yourself saying, this isn't really what I had in mind? I thought God was going to do something different when he told me I'm going to take you to a land of promise and give it to you? It would be very easy for Abram to lose heart, to become impatient. This condition of living as a stranger in exile, it lasted for decades. Add to that that Abram and Sarah were promised that they would have a family. They would have a son, and through that son, God would bless the entire world. And here's where the story gets a bit more complicated. Sarah was barren. In verse 11, it says, by faith, Sarah was given power to conceive. She was 90 years old, well past the age of childbearing. Her body had dried up, as it were. Abraham's probably as well. Just to do what it takes for them to try to get pregnant would be an act of faith at that point, I think. And here it is, Abraham and Sarah commended for their faith. Read once again, chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past age, since she considered him faithful who'd promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now, we know the story, don't we? Abraham's obedience here was not perfect, and neither was Sarah's. In Genesis chapter 16, we find this very sad story where Sarah, Abraham, uh, remember he was 75 when he was called. Now, 11 years later, he's 86, and they still haven't had a son. And Sarah's looking around, and she's kind of checking the calendar, and she's going, this isn't happening. Add to that. You remember Satan 
when he went to Eve in the Garden of Eden? He said, did God really say? Is that really what God meant? Can't you imagine for Abraham and Sarah, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, not seeing a city, not seeing a son? Are you sure that's what God said? Did he really mean that? Just eroding, chipping away at her faith, at his faith. And so the day comes when Sarah comes to Abraham and says, listen, this isn't working, but I've got this handmaiden here named Hagar, and she can bear a son for you. It was the beginning of surrogacy. She'll be the surrogate mother for your son that God will bless the world through. Now, in this case, Abraham's faith did not lead him to obey the Lord. His faith, in a sense, it failed for a time. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Abraham and Sarah leaned on their own understanding and said, this is the only way we can see that this promise can be fulfilled. So they took matters into their own hands and they created a very big mess. Hagar gets pregnant. She bears the son named Ishmael. And Ishmael grows up till he's about 13 when Isaac is finally given. And then there is this intense hatred between Sarah and Hagar. And Ishmael's not too kind to the baby Isaac either. And Sarah insists, you've got to send him away. Abraham loved Ishmael, but God said, it's through Isaac the promise is going to be fulfilled. And so Hagar and Ishmael are sent away. Now, the Lord appeared to her and said, I'm going to take care of your line as well, but you know who the descendants of Ishmael are. Ishmael is the father, the ancestor of the Arab nation. There's a direct line from Ishmael to Muhammad, and he is the patron prophet, as it were, of Islam. And the tension that was created between Isaac and Ishmael, between Sarah and Hagar, is going on even today, and we see it in the war in Israel between Hamas, the Palestinians, and the Jewish people of Israel. It continues to this very day. The fallout of that failure of their faith. But here's the amazing thing. There's no mention of that in Hebrews 11, is there? Abraham's faith faltered. His obedience wasn't perfect. His disobedience had dire temporal consequences, which is often the case. David was forgiven for his immorality, but the temporal consequences were terrible. The Bible tells us God is not mocked. What you sow, you're going to reap. And he sowed to the flesh, and from the flesh reaped corruption. But here's the amazing thing. God, in his divine record, does not mention it. Because of the grace of God, the God who forgives our sins, he remembers our iniquities no longer. It doesn't mean that God the Holy Spirit forgot to remind the writer of Hebrews and inspire something about this episode of the lives. No, he chooses not to remember, chooses not to recall, chooses not to bring it to mind. He, uh, in grace and mercy, it's under the blood of the Lord Jesus, and it is not mentioned. In fact, the emphasis here is on Abraham's obedience, the obedience produced by faith, and there's no record at all of his disobedience. God deals with him in mercy. 
God deals with you and me in mercy. He remembers our sins no more. I find that to be really encouraging. I hope you do as well. Let's look then for a moment at Abraham's hope. Verse 1 tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Abraham lived his entire life in hope without seeing. He lived his life in tents as a nomad. There were cities all around, but all he was allowed to build was an altar to worship the Lord. Well, what was Abraham hoping for? What was his hope? Verse 10 tells us he was looking for a city with foundations whose designer and builder is God. He didn't get to build a city, but he was looking for one, not built by human hands, but one built by God. And that hope, that promise, that, that, uh, that covenant was not fulfilled in this lifetime. Verse 13 says, Abraham, speaking of Abraham and his sons, Isaac and Jacob, it says, these all died in faith, having seen and greeted the promise from afar. They never saw the fulfillment of what God had promised to them. And that's an incredible attitude if you think about it. Have you ever been disillusioned? Have you ever felt like I was really trusting that God was going to do something here and he didn't, and now I just feel utterly disillusioned? Go read Lamentations 3. Jeremiah is disillusioned. Now, in that case, everything Jeremiah experienced is exactly what God told him was going to happen. God said, you're going to preach to all these people. They're going to hate you. They're going to reject you, and I'm going to lead them into captivity. I'm calling on you to preach repentance to them, but they're not going to listen. They're not going to repent, and I'm going to bring judgment. And you read Lamentations 3. He's lamenting the terrible, terrible judgment that has fallen upon his people and the impact it's made on his own life. He is devastated. He is disillusioned. And yet you come to verse 22 in Lamentations 3. He says, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Not anything he could see, just something he knew. What is his hope? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We just sang, great is thy faithfulness. Lord, unto me, morning by morning, new mercies I see. That's taken from Lamentations 3, where Jeremiah is fighting against every impulse and sense and thing he sees in his life that would shatter hope, and he gains hope by focusing on the faithfulness of God. And we celebrate the faithfulness of God in that hymn. So we have this amazing attitude of Abraham and of Isaac and Jacob. They did not receive in this life those things that were promised to them. I'm, temp I'm sure they were tempted many times to listen to that, uh, that siren song of the enemy saying, did God really say? I'm sure they were tempted to lose heart, to conclude that maybe they missed something. Maybe God had misled them. Maybe God wasn't as faithful as they had thought but they didn't give in to such temptations. They continued to trust their God. They continued to set their heart on those things which he promised, and they continued to see and to greet from afar the things which he had promised. Now, just think about that. It says they acknowledge they were strangers and aliens. That acknowledgement means they accepted that lot. It's not that they were chafing at that and discontent, and saying, this is not fair. This is not at all what I bargained for. They accepted it. They acknowledged, this is where God has me right now, but boy, where he's going to have me in the future is beyond imagination. 
They greeted it from afar. They knew they had an eternal home. They knew they had a city without found, or with foundations. They knew something of what Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 to 18. Paul is speaking of the great afflictions that he and his fellow servants are experiencing for the sake of the gospel. And he says this, he says, We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away our inner self is being renewed day by day. And then he says some things that are truly amazing. And I want us to get hold of this, and I want us to think about the hardships and the difficulties and the challenges of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob living in tents, when all around there are people living in cities. People are prospering in their comfort and their luxury, and this is our land. God has promised it to us, and we're living as exiles and strangers in tents. And we read Paul say, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're temporary. They fade away. They don't last. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Abraham understood what it was to walk by faith and not by sight. He knew what it was to set his heart on that which he could not see. Not a blind faith, an informed faith and the God who is invisible and yet more real than anything else in all the world. He believed the promises of God. And again, his hope was not going to be realized in this life, and he was okay with that. Look at verse 14 to 16, back in Hebrews 11, 14. For people who speak thus, they acknowledge they're strangers and exiles. People who speak this way, Make it clear they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. Let me just stop right here for a moment. My brother, Satish, do you ever think about India? Think about going back sometime? Sure you do, right? Yeah, of course. Eric, family, do you think about going back to Kenya? Of course you do. You're here for a time, but you're going back, and that's as it should be. God has called Abraham and Isaac and Jacob somewhere, and there is no going back, and they're okay with that. Because they know where they're going is infinitely better. They're seeking a homeland. Verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared for them a city. Abraham continues trusting God because he hadn't seen this heavenly homeland yet. And he's absolutely sure it's going to be there. He's absolutely sure God will not go back on his word. He waited patiently for God to fulfill his promise. Turn with me to Hebrews 6. We looked at this some weeks ago. And in Hebrews 6, we're told in, in this call to perseverance, verse 11, we desire each of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope unto the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but look at this, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Who are those who inherited the promises? Abraham's one of them. How do I know that? Because it says so just a couple verses later. Verse 13, for when God made a promise to Abram, Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I'll bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Now, we know who Abraham's faith was in, right? It says, through faith and patience, he inherited the promises. Who was his faith in? Obviously, it was God. 
Who is he being patient with? God. We tend to think of patience with people as when they do something wrong to us. And we just bear with that with patience. Well, it does mean bearing with difficult people. That's that's what the word actually means. And let's face it, when God says, I'm going to send you to this land that is uh, a land of promise, and it's going to be yours, and I'm going to give you this vast family, and all these years later, they're living in a tent, and they have no child, it'd be very easy to lose patience at that point. But through faith, trusting God, through patience, believing and waiting on God, inherit the promises. Let's look at the promise of God for just a moment. Once again, back in chapter 11, we read that God has prepared for them a city, an eternal heavenly country. Abraham wasn't willing to settle for a temporal city that that human hands could build. He held out in faith where God had promised, which was a heavenly country. God had promised a family, numbering as many as the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashores, and yet for 25 years, it didn't happen. Now, 11, 12 years in, they did have Ishmael, but that wasn't it. But even after Isaac was born, we have this one son. One son. Are we going to have a multitude of descendants through this one son? But then his son Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. But Jacob I loved and Esau I hated, so it's one grandson. Is that the way to have this enormous progeny? Now, we know that Jacob had 12 sons, and the rest is history, right? God was faithful to his promise, but even beyond the seed of Abraham and Isaac and the seed of Jacob, there are innumerable men and women, boys and girls, who are in the line of Messiah. We are the offspring of Abraham. We are part of that number greater than the sands of the seashore and the stars in the sky. We are part of that, uh, that, that, that vast number, that innumerable number of people from every tribe and language and people and nation who will, before the throne of God, bring our praises and our thanks for the rest of eternity. Abraham trusted the Lord. He set his heart on that heavenly country, and it says, therefore, because of that, God is not ashamed be called their God. Now, let that statement sink in for a minute. You think God would be ashamed to call himself your God? Do you ever feel like maybe you're just a bit of a, a disappointment to the Lord? I do. Not you, but I feel like I am. Our hope is to come to that last great day where Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. And part of us cringes and thinks, I haven't been that good or that faithful. And the reality is, humanly speaking, on the bar of perfection, Abraham wasn't really that good or that faithful either. Remember, uh, they fled a, 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 a famine in the land, and they went to Egypt. And when they got there, Abraham realized, my wife is gorgeous, and these Egyptians are going to see me, and they're going to think she's my wife, and they can have her if they kill me. And so he says, Sarah, tell him you're my sister. Now, that was half true because she was his half-sister as well as his wife. So Sarah obeys him in what was really a, a very foolish 
instruction. The Lord protected her and restored her to her husband. He did that twice. He went to another land, the king of Bimelech. Same thing. You think he learned. Exposing his wife to incredible danger to save his own skin. That's not loving your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And yet God calls him faithful and is not ashamed to be called his God. That gives me hope. I hope it does you too. I hope it does you too. In this hall of faith, those sins and failures are not remembered. In the divine record, Abraham's faith and his obedience are what we read because God remembered his sins no more. Well, let me ask you this couple questions. First of all, do you think Abraham's obedience was easy? Or do you think it was difficult? It may not be hard to go somewhere you haven't been before if it's a relatively short journey and very soon you see how it all comes together. That may not be so difficult, but year after year after year after year, it becomes quite taxing on the heart. But God has led Abraham into uncharted territory. He has essentially put his life on hold for decades. He's called him to difficult obedience, and he trusted God. And the evidence that he trusted God is that he obeyed him. And the trajectory of his life was one of obedience that was the obedience of faith. He didn't earn God's favor through his obedience. He trusted God, and that trust, righteousness, was imputed to him because of his faith. But the evidence that he had faith is that he obeyed the Lord whom he believed. Let me ask you, do you trust God? Do you trust God? How do you know? Well, do you obey him? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And the same is true. If you trust him, you'll do what he says. You will not lean on your own understandings, but you will trust in the Lord with all your heart. And in all your ways, you'll acknowledge him, and he'll make your paths straight. Do you trust him? Not in order to earn his favor, but because you're his child. Are you a Christian? Are you trusting him as Lord and Savior? Are you believing that your God is good and he will do good for you, that he's wise, he knows better than you do? He has better purposes for you than you could ever imagine. And he'll lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Do you trust him? Then don't lean on your understanding. Obey him. Thirdly, let me ask you this. Is God leading you into uncharted territory? That may not mean the deepest, darkest jungle mission. It could be that. But it may simply mean God's taking you into a chapter of your life that is really difficult and you have no idea where it's going to lead. He's calling you to a difficult obedience. And all you can see is a big question mark. A number of years ago, after I think about 57 years of marriage, my father-in-law a godly man, faithful elder in his church, developed Alzheimer's disease. And his wife, who had, uh, my mother-in-law is just this <laughs> giant of faith. She truly is. And Jim's two sisters had also descended into the utter depths of dementia. So they knew exactly what was coming. It wasn't totally uncharted, but it was uncharted for her. And the idea of caring for her husband, who had looked out for her and taken care of everything, for 57 years, you can imagine how terrifying that might be. You can imagine how dreaming of growing old together happy 
And now all that has changed. All that is very different. And she could say, how can I possibly care for my husband in this condition? How, uh, it seems like too much, this is impossible. Now, I'll say we never heard her say anything close to that. She was a woman whose faith did not fail in any sense. She cared for her husband and counted a privilege to do so. And God gave her grace and strength every single day. But he takes us in places that we don't want to go. He brings providences into our lives. Sometimes it's loss. Sometimes it's affliction. It's illness. It's disappointment. It can be any number of things that he brings into our lives. And we look at it, and it just seems enormous. It seems like this tidal wave of hopelessness. And yet, there's no question, God is in control. He's leading me here. It's not like I've been in rank rebellion. But here I am. What do I do? You may be going through a time like that, that the world as you knew it, the world as you expected it, seems to be falling apart or coming apart. Abraham had what seems, as far as you could tell, a fairly comfortable existence. And God said, leave that. Go live in a tent in a place you don't know. But he trusted God for these glorious promises that were beyond this life. And we can trust that this present suffering, however that much it may weigh on us. It's a light and momentary affliction in comparison to the eternal weight of glory. We can't, we can't miss that comparison. It's so very important. You may not see how it's possible for Abraham to do that. You, you may find yourself saying, this is too much. I can't do this. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That doesn't mean you can run faster than a speeding bullet or stop a locomotive like, you know, Superman or anything. It does mean I can do everything God would have me do through Christ who gives me strength. I do not have what it takes to do this, but I can do it through Christ who gives me strength. You may not see how it's possible. You don't need to see how it's possible. You simply need to trust God who enables us to do that which seemingly impossible. It feels like uncharted territory. And, and there's a part of you that wants to say, I can't do this, but in reality, it's so much, when you say, I can't do, that, do this, that's a declaration of unbelief, isn't it? I'm not willing to believe God in this circumstance. How much better to say, I have never been here before, and there's no way I could possibly do this apart from your help, Lord. That's a declaration of dependence. Let us be men and women who are declaring our dependence on our God. It seems like uncharted territory, but the reality is we get to chapter 12, and we find that we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. They're not spectators cheering us on saying, you can do it, you have what it takes. They're men and women who found God faithful, and they're saying, God took care of me. He provided for me. He saw me through to the end, and he did give me that city that's really worth it, and he'll do the same for you. And even though it seems like it's uncharted territory, it's actually a race that was marked out from you from before time began. God knows where he's taking you. Can you believe that? Can you rest in that? Can you trust in that? Can you acknowledge, okay, I'm a stranger, an alien here. So what? My God is with me, and he has made 
amazing promises, and he will keep every one. And because of that, I can trust him. And because of that, whatever it looks like, I can obey him. And because of that, he will even rejoice over me with loud singing. How amazing will that be?